Hey, you. Yes, you. Listen, before the podcast takes place, I want you to know from whatever how you're listening to this, whether it be on iTunes, Google Play, or some radioactive frequency wave you just have in your stoner brain of yours because you just smoked too much of that good kush or whatever the fuck you like to trip on and just can't realize you clicked on the podcast category for some dope-ass audio. Or wherever you may on right now, whether it be driving down the interstate or some fucked up traffic that you don't want to be in, Walking around the block with your purse-sized dog in one hand and gimmick Starbucks cup in the other. Walking out your place because you can't stand your annoying bitch-ass girlfriend slash boyfriend right now because you're not doing something she slash she told you for the hundredth time today. But you keep going back and you know the flame is still there. Oh, hey, you may be to be taking a shit or sipping your country at war right now because you goddamn right we support our troops. So whether this is your first time listening or a long-time staff fanatic, we here on Topics on the Pod you are here to say welcome. So sit back, relax, roll another one, or whatever the fuck you like to take the edge off, and enjoy the show, you fucking bitches. <laughs> How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? It's DJ Stash, aka Jesse, aka the host of the motherfucking podcast. And this is episode 26 on Topics on the Pod. Where each and every week we try to bring you a specific topic. Uh, this week's topic is going to be the continuation series of part two of the 100 greatest robots. Or movie robots of all time, should I say. And we're going to have a little continuation, or not continuation, but a prediction of the WWE 2019 Elimination Chamber. As, uh, you know... You ongoing following marks have been uh, following my uh, podcast. I uh, usually uh, try to get these. Uh, I try, mainly talk about wrestling is only one of the pay per views. I would say, well, they're not really pay per views now since it's on the WWE Network. But I guess like other countries have it just on the pay per view, unfortunately. But yeah, let's talk about it. I especially want to talk about this one because I am going to this elimination chamber since it will be in the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. You know your boys recording this in the good old Central Texas in his luxurious apartment. So me and my one of my best friends are going there for one of my birthdays. My birthday is the twenty fifth of February, so I'm currently recording this. This is the uh, seventeenth. It's uh, morning here for me. So if you're listening to this now as the podcast comes out, hope y'all having a great morning. Or y'all, you know, on the side of the world, whatever. You have a good, you have a good night. <laughs> so in general, I'm hoping everyone's having a good, good day. So. A lot, a lot to talk about this week, guys. Uh, as you know, I got the two, I got a few Google notes, Google news here. Sorry, fuck, can't talk today. <laughs> I like how I've been using the, uh, you know, people who are just new to the channel or new to the podcast or have been listening. I do a few, a few topics on news on my Google news. And I've been doing this so much it's already recommended me based of all my interests. So that's pretty good. I got some of that lined up. Uh, a little bit of what's been going on my week for me. Uh, Pretty much, been, pretty much been chilling, working my gimmick job. Uh, it, Valentine's Day came and go, guys. So, uh, was you know everyone have their loved ones, whatever. You're gonna buy the you know your chocolates and flowers one night. Uh, my opinions on it, you know I do it. I mean, uh, as I'm currently single right now, don't have, didn't have a love interest, didn't really do anything. Uh, worked that day anyway. Was I was on a uh, what day was Valentine's Day? So today is Sunday. So. It was Thursday, yeah. So I worked that day anyway. Uh, just, you know, got off with the Applebee's. Uh, they actually had like, uh, it was like some kind of hurricane drink. I forget what it's called. It was like a dollar. 
So like Applebee's, Applebee's had them cheap ass drinks, dollar specials, whatever. It was like a rum or something. It was like, I'm not really much of a rum guy either. Like, it was one of the sweetest rums mixtures I've ever had. It was a buck. Not not too bad at all. Don't know how long I'm going to have that, so. And then uh, last night, uh, went to the Olive Garden. Had an all-you-can-eat, never-ending stuffed pasta. They have like five different versions of that. Uh, ate four of those at the restaurant. Have one here to go. I'm gonna eat that on the way to Houston, Texas. Me and my best friend, we're gonna drive there. And basically, for that never-ending stuff, pasta. The uh, yeah, you have five different variations of pasta. You have five different toppings. Or, yeah, yeah, I think it's five. And then they have, <clears throat> or not toppings, but sauce. And then they have, I think, six different toppings. Which like the toppings is extra, but say the highest price one, whatever the shrimp, I think I think scallops and shrimp, whatever. If you buy that one, then all the ones below that one low price, you get it with it unlimited. So that's what I did, and I got like a nice wine there too, or uh, it was some kind of wine cocktail. It was like a sour apple one, green apple, whatever they had there. Oh, that was delicious. Yeah, I've been all. That's probably only the third time I've ever been to Olive Garden too. Like uh, it's been on. Took my mom out there one time, and then I took my uh, ex-girlfriend there, so. I can really get my energy drink with me. Start my day. As people follow me on my YouTube channel, currently drinking this out. America Energy is red, white, and boom. It says America's Energy Drink. It's the, uh, it's a grape one, so. I haven't put that one on the uh, YouTube yet, but I'm just going to give you now. It's pretty good. I haven't, I haven't put the other one so far. Have, there's like three different variations of it. So I've only drinking two of them right now. I got one more in the fridge. So, uh, yeah, I've been drinking a lot of energy drinks in the GNC. I definitely, definitely been wanting to get an energy drink. Or the reason I'm getting energy drinks because I've been drinking that. Uh, or I heard on saw on Instagram, it's that uh, keto coffee one from Bang. So, but the one I wanted there, uh, I to explain on my uh, one of my reviews on YouTube <clears throat> that uh, it's called the Heavily Hazel. I saw on YouTube or uh, Instagram rather. And they didn't have it there, so they said they that was like a really popular one. So they have three, three different kinds, and that one has been selling out. I'm guessing probably social media had an effect to that too, because I didn't I didn't hear about it until Instagram. So, but they have like that hazelnut heavily one. Um, there's a mocha madness one, and a cookies and cream one. So I've had I've already reviewed uh, cookies and cream and mocha, but it hasn't been on my YouTube channel as I'm currently reviewing reviewing this or reviewing this recording this. Jesus, <laughs> it'll be out sometime next weekend. But, but yeah, hopefully, uh, should be, they said the shipping comes in Wednesday, so hopefully Wednesday I can go pick that one up. So, yeah, I'm currently drinking this uh, America one. Uh, what else has been going on this week? Pretty much on those Valentine's, a big thing. Yeah, I'm saying I didn't have it, have a date. A lot of, I've seen a lot of people, especially my friend circle, like, yeah, I try to avoid that because I'm like, man, I don't want to watch. Uh, how my opinions are, you know, saying like, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, it's a giving day. I mean, a lot of markets, you know, I'm just saying Walmart, for instance, or flyer companies, and all that's how they make their buck. And a lot of people, they're not in the sex industry, <laughs> sells a lot too, because I remember last year, when I uh, had, was on my ship, like, all the stuff from Walmart, all the sex, the birth control, the, you know, name or whatever, that shit was, like, gone. <laughs> I tried out a toy for that, so. Yeah, that tells me how much people want to do that on Valentine's Day. Pretty much the sex day, like, you're going to fuck today. <laughs> One of my friends got proposed to his lady. Congratulations on him. Like two of my friends are uh, getting married really soon. Like the, one of my best friends, I'm taking going out today. 
to the Toyota Center. He's got proposed to his girl last month, so I want to wish his congrats for that. They're basically just going to do the court route and then have a big ceremony next year, they said, you know, because their funds are not in the in their hands right now. So congratulations on them. But I kind of got it, like, I don't know, but he didn't tell me. He just forgot about I mean, he's he's a character, man. He's one of my best friends, but, like, I don't know. He's, he's I don't he's, know. He's off sometimes. But. So I didn't even know about it. He didn't even tell me, or he thought he did, but I didn't know about it until this girl was, like, posting on Instagram, so. But, I mean, you know, it's that's not my life, or uh, what do you call it? Not my life, but uh, not my place, you know what I mean? So, I mean, if you don't want to tell me, you tell me, you know. Alright, so that's pretty much what's going on in the week here. I'm just going to do get down this podcast. Oh yeah, uh, been playing Kingdom Hearts 3, as uh, people have been following me on Twitch. So I've been playing that. It's been pretty good so far. Uh, I do enjoy I have never played the Kingdom Hearts series. Uh, this, I know this game has been hyped for, what, 26, 2016? So, uh, I mean, I'm not, I mean, you know, uh, as, as you know, the 25th, I'd be 25, so... Uh, too much of a, you know, cartoon fanatic with Disney. You know, I'll still watch it, I mean. But, I mean, it, it's, it's alright. The visuals on it. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for y'all, you know, people playing it. If y'all gamers out there, you know, listen to the podcast. But I'm just basically, I'm basically pretty much, a pretty good part into the game. And I was going to say, the visuals were fantastic in it, if anything. Speaking of visuals, I did watch a, no- I did watch a movie this week, too. The, uh, which is going to be one of the topics of the on the uh, Google News, so I'll get into it. It's uh, I did watch the Alita Battle Angel. That's one of those movies I was I saved in my calendar for advance because like I knew that was gonna be a good movie. It's a good visuals because uh, it was produced by uh, James Cameron. But uh, looked, <clears throat> I watched it. It was a great movie, man. I don't want to spoil it for y'all, but I mean, it's, I definitely recommend it. The story was good. Definitely looks like they're gonna have a part two for the movie. So it's gonna tell. That's about how much I'm gonna tell you for that. I mean, I'll, I'll read into the article in a minute. I just want to say my... But uh, I did look on uh, Rotten Tomatoes on it. I'm like, the tradition was shit on this movie. They gave it like, I think like 50 to 60, whatever. But the audience loved it. They gave it a 92, as I currently look back on it. So. But yeah, guys, so, uh, that's about the last part I want to get for the week. So we'll just get into the Google News. We'll get into the review, uh, my predictions on Limited Chamber. And then we'll get into the part two of the 100 greatest robots movies of all time. Robots in the movies of all time, so. Alright. So I talked about Alita Battle Angel, so we can do that one first. Which is recommended for me. So it says, this article is from uh, Engaged It today, I guess. Uh, headline says, How Alita Battle Angel will triumph over Uncanny Valley. Which I'm guessing that's another movie, which I don't even know what that movie is. So, so click onto that article. Oh yeah, uh, also haven't mentioned yet. I'm recording off a new uh, recording device. It's not really new. I mean, I've had this for a couple weeks now. I got it off of Amazon. Uh, it's called, well, the company's from Zingyu TM. I guess that's a trademark, yeah. But it's uh, this is a BM800, so it's good. Consinder microphone bundle is basically what I got. It basically came with a pirate cable, a mic stand, table mount. It's a table mount microphone. Uh, it has a shock mount. It's a microphone, the phone cap, Paul filter, so. One of these like professional studio microphones you want to call it. So it's around like under forty bucks. So, I mean, for what you get, this is pretty good quality. Obviously, for testing the sound now. So this is the first podcast I'm using it with. So hoping you all enjoy it. I'm enjoying the sound quality of this compared to my uh, 
little inter- interview uh, interview microphone I've been using, which I forget the name of that. I have it next to me on the table here. Uh, I can't remember what it's called right now. But anyway, we'll get into this article. It says, how Alita Battle Angel triumph over the Uncanny Valley. It says, those big anime eyes aren't so creepy after all. Yeah, that's how a big thing really draw me was these anime eyes, because I'm a big anime fanatic. So, let's go we'll sip here. Okay. It says, when the first trailer for the live-action Alita Battle Angel dropped in late December 2017, the internet was a buzz. Well, I was back in December 2017. I didn't know it was that long ago for the trailer. I said the internet was a buzz about the infamous characters' large CG eyes. Heck, even we call them creepy and weird. Now that the film's finally here, and I've had a chance to check it out this long-awaited comic adaptation. Uh, this is from a comic? I didn't even know that. So, uh, it says the film's just finally here, and I've had the chance to check it out long awaited comic adaptation. Since I can safely say our fears were overblown, in fact, Alita might be one of the most realistic humans I've ever seen on screen. Huge manga eyes and all. Uh, I wouldn't say realistic humans. Uh, well, I mean, oh, they say realistic eyes like compared to like other CGI humans. So, yeah, I can see that. But I mean, you can tell it's realistic, but like you can tell by, just by the eyes. I'm like, okay, she's not really all human. You know what I mean? It says, uh, you might be familiar with the concept of the Uncanny Valley, but a brief refresher of the movie... The more realistic a human simulation like the android or CG character becomes, the more we notice the small differences. Eventually we become repulsed sometimes. We can't even articulate what's bothering us. Uh, we just uh, know something feels off and it makes us uneasy. An often cited example is the dead eyes of Tom Hanks, various characters in Polar Express. <laughs> uh, for the most part, filmmakers are aware of this problem and try to avoid it making their characters more cartoony or not human at all. Thanks, Caesar, from the most recent Planet of the Apes film, or the cast of pretty much any Pixar movie. <laughs> Shit, damn, good shot for that. Uh, Lita might intentionally seem to be another non-human character, given that she's a cyborg with a completely machine body. The only part of her that is fully biological from the start of the film is her brain. But the movie reminds us constantly that underneath those mechanical parts, she is still an emotionally fragile human girl. Yeah, basically, it's, she's a whole cyber, but she only has like a human brain. So, so your cyborg nature is very much central to the plot. A little broken and anesthetic is found. Abandoned. Is, okay, so it's pretty much telling a little bit of the movie. So if you don't want to uh, hear about it now, you want to skip to the next. Uh, I'll talk about the next article. Uh, it's basically saying, okay, starting now. Is found abandoned in a scrapyard by kind cybernetics doctors who replaces her lost mechanical body and adopts her as a daughter figure. She's a stand-in for the child he lost years before, so he's naturally inclined to protect her. But it's tough in a post-Olympic city where citizens are often forced to replace their biological with mechanical bits just to survive. Uh, okay, so you're like, I didn't know that during the movie. So there's a lot of like stuff I'm like, oh, okay, I wonder why. There's a lot of cyborgs down here. <laughs> Uh, that's where we're at. Okay, it says, and even then, they, uh, they're risking having those ripped away by bandits. Alita is essentially drawn to the violence of this world for reasons she doesn't consistently understand at first. It's a story we've definitely seen before, but the fun of watching it this time around is a sheer 
complexity of this alive and world and of course the fights are pretty cool there is good battle scenes in this I must tell you one like the well I'll finish the argument I'll tell you this has this original uh, Battle Angel Lido comic created by Yukuto Kamishiro in the early 90s okay was uh, never going to translate well into live action it's in a rundown slum called slum called Iron City populated with cyborgs who aren't always recognizable human. Some are simply replacing lost limbs. Others may graft on parts for manual labor. And a few may even transform themselves into rolling murder tanks in the hopes of winning the city's favorite deadly sport, motorball. Oh, that's what they call I don't even remember what the sport was called. <laughs> I don't watch this movie. Uh, so there's a giant city looming overhead called Zalim, held aloft by a space elevator. It's all visually fantastic and previously could be dissected with an accuracy through anime. An original video and animation was released in 1993. Okay. That adapts the first two volumes of the series, but it was never confirmed any further. So I will say with the live action version has been in the works for nearly two dec well, two decades, with original director James Cameron consistently putting it off as he was busy with other projects, obviously. Oh, there's another thing. Uh, okay, I'll get to my points after this. <laughs> I have, like, just other points for it. We'll finish these articles. Uh, so eventually, it was passed off to Robert Rodriguez, whose distinct style matches the hyper-violent scenes of his real story. The long delay in the milk, er, in the making helped a lot. The team at Wita applied everything it learned from films like The Lord of the Rings and Hobbit trilogies. Planet of the Apes and, of course, Avatar. However, after Cameron's blockbuster made a huge splash, effects seemed to stagnate, studios cut costs, and under-invested in VFX houses, leading to sustained work, but you but you won't find any shoddy work here. In fact, there are advances, both big and small. The film gets you invest in Alita as a real living human being by imbuing her with level of detail. Never before seen in CG characters, or characters, I'd say. Her eyes may be enlarged and her mouth reduced in order to match the iconic look of the manga, but it's something you quick, uh, quickly forget after the first minute. Uh, the first thing was motion capture from Rose Seller's performance, where Wita was able to pick up the smallest financial expressions. Uh, Salazar has a distinct little nose twitch that her <laughs> computerized doppelganger also emulates. That's partly how the film manages to avoid the uncanny valley. It has the little quirks we expect to see when interacting with another person. We want to see the little things that make someone different from everybody else. Or everyone else. Okay. Uh, it says this level of detail also extends to how Alita moves. Which changes based on which body she's wearing. Let's see. That's why I say a spoiler. Uh... She starts out moving in a delicate, cinematic-like form, and her movements are that of a clockwork doll. When Alita upgrades to the more powerful Berserk chases later in the film, her movements become smoother and more organic. This reflects not only her newfound confidence, but also the high level of technology she now commands. VFX supervisor Eric Sodden told them, or told me, that uh, these were decisions made by the effects team and not necessarily part of Rose's original motion capture performance. But you never guess it was a deliberate acting choice because of how natural it all seems. There also is a lot more physical contact here between the cyborg and biological characters like Chris 
Christoph Waltz, Adu or Keen Johnson's Hugo. It's way more frequent in an inmate that when they see in the movies like Avatar, where the blue skin Navi and, and the humans rarely interact. Now we've seen CGI characters touch, uh, caress, and hold living actors. The uh, love story between Alita and Hugo would have felt even more stiff if they didn't at least hold hands. Unfortunately, not much could be done for Johnson's acting or the lipness of the uh, dialogue together. It says Alita's enlarged eyes are also a technology feat in themselves because Robert Rodriguez likes to put the camera directly into his actors' faces. Okay. Uh, the team at Weta had to make sure her eyes looked absolutely convincing. To do that, they added an obscene amount of depth and detail to her eyes. Obviously. <laughs> About 8.5 million polygons at each one. Oh, shit. That's way more than the 1.5 million that make up an entire character model in Avatar. Wow. An Avatar. Okay. Yeah, even you know, the Avatar character's eyes are really popping. It says, if you're thinking that those animation files must be huge, you're not wrong. The entire movie uses 3.5 petabytes of storage. That's a lot of fucking storage. Uh, the history of cinema is littered with movies that they're night or nay unwatchable because the special effects are so bad. The Matrix Reloaded, The Mummy Returns, Tron Legacy. Even if I could get the past awful writing, there's still the whole uncanny valley for all. Okay, this is what I mean, tell me all get. So I thought they were talking about some movie on Canning Valley. So there's talking about this problem. Uh, it says to deal with when it comes to Agent Smith's fighting or a giant hybrid scorpion king monster. These failed because they couldn't faithfully replace human beings creating cartoony monstrosities instead. However, Alita Battle Angel takes cartoony monstrosities and makes them human and real. Real enough that I can see myself watching this in 10 or 20 years without cringing. Yeah, that's for sure. I'm sure this movie can last for a while. Okay, pretty much in the article. Yeah, as I was saying, well, like the fight scenes, like there's a one of my favorite fight scenes, is, like when she's in a bar. So I'm just gonna say that for y'all. Like just this bar scene she has, like it's pretty badass. And what was I gonna? There's some other thing I don't remember now. <laughs> I was trying to finish the article. But yeah, yeah, guys, uh, if you haven't seen this movie, definitely it's a watch for sure. Like, I didn't even know this was uh, based on a comic. I just seen the trailer. I was like, oh, I gotta watch this movie. But yeah, her eyes are like it's definitely like main feature of her body okay guys if you're just uh you're with away you can come back now from done with the this article so we'll move on to the next one i promise if these other two are not seeing anything but spoilers <laughs> uh that's the article it's about the last of us 2 so now we have some for you gamers it says uh the last of us 2 six characters confirmed and four we like to see this is from screen rant Uh, let's see. Okay. Let's see. This is by Joshua Oliveira. It was this article was on February sixteenth. So it was yesterday. It says The Last of Us was one of the most critically acclaimed games on the PS3. Yeah, I can see that because that was one of the first. P like I, I got the PS4 like on uh, you call it Black Friday. And it came with one of the came with two free games. It came with Grand Theft Auto Five, and it came with uh, The Last of Us. So we played. That's how I got into The Last of Us, the first one. But it says uh, it came as no surprise then when Naughty Dog revealed they were working on the sequel called The Last of Us Part Two for PS4. While it's been a few years since the 
Nintel reveal. So we're getting closer and closer to the release of this highly anticipated game, which uh, I don't know so far. So far, as I know, I have not seen a release date yet. I just know the trailer came out E three back in June or June, July, whatever. It was summertime. <laughs> uh, it says it's just related. <laughs> the last of us two inspired by Netflix's End of the Fucking World. Okay. It says since the first trailer. There's been a lot of information about the game and its characters release. We'll be looking at six characters also confirmed for The Last of Us Part 2 and four characters we'd like to see. Okay. Number 10. It's... Okay, it's a... It's basically just going like a 10, so it looks like it's going from all confirmed characters first and then the four that like if this dude likes to see it from the article. So number 10, Joel. Joel was the protagonist of The Last of Us and the pl player character. He was a conflicted man who didn't want to help anyone other than himself. Unfortunately for him, he got wrapped up in all of that talk about a cure for the Cordyceps plague and tried to deliver a little girl who could hold the keys to unlocking it all. He appeared in the first trailer for The Last of Us Part 2, but he's looking a bit older this time around. It's also worth mentioning that he's not going to be the pl player character this time around. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like, it's from the trailer, like, you're not going to play him, you're going to play the girl this time, it was like in the game. So, which is cool with that, because like, um,. It wasn't that side DLC, whatever, with The Last of Us. You play the girl anyway, so I can see that. Definitely looking for that. All right, number nine. Oh, this is a lot. Or, never mind. I thought it was going to do all confirmed, then like to see. But this is a like to see. Uh, it says Tommy. Uh, it says Tommy was Joel's brother who appeared in The Last of Us after the plague. The two of them went their separate ways. Tommy joined the Fireflies and helped run a secure camp with plenty of resources. Joel and Tommy ended up patching their relationship and made on good terms. Tommy also managed to have a family in the middle of this crisis. Tommy hasn't been confirmed for the sequel, but this, or but his appearance will likely mean more information on the Firefly camp. That said, he probably have a small part in the game considering Joel is in focus. And then you have number eight, which is a confirmed Ellie, of fucking course. <laughs> but people in the same people don't know this game. It says Ellie was a little girl immune to the plague in the Last of Us game. The Fireflies believe that she held the cure to the virus because you know, she basically immune to this disease in this game. Uh, she was foul-mouthed, intense, and always ready to throw herself in danger. However, things didn't go her way. Now she's the protagonist of The Last of War II and seems all grown up. She's been talking or taking the skills Joe taught her as she makes her way across the nation with her goals in mind. That said, Ellie is shaping up to be a rough character if her gameplay footage is anything to go by. And also, maybe she may be a lesbian. She made that girl and girl action in the, in the trailer, so we'll see how that goes. Number seven, I like to see Bill. Bill was a quirky character and one of the few survivors from The Last of Us. He was paranoid, unstable, and wasn't afraid to get on everyone's bad side all at the same time. He lived in an entire town where he rigged with traps to protect himself from all sorts of zombies and clickers. Those fucking clickers. <laughs> Uh, it says related rumor. It says the last of us part two is coming out before end of this year. Well, hopefully, it says Bill and Ellie didn't get along as well, but so it'd be interesting to see that <clears throat> the two of them meeting up again in the last of us part two. Perhaps Bill's paranoia led or led to him going insane. Maybe we'll find out that his isolation ended up being his demise. Okay, we have number six confirmed. Uh, Dinah, Dana, 
I'm butcher that name. It says Diana appeared in the famous E3 trailer for The Last of Us Part Two. In it, she and Ellie shared an intimate moment. Okay, yeah, this is all talking about the, the lesbian thing. Uh, this is like her main squeeze, apparently, in the tra from the trailer. It says uh, she and Ellie shared an intimate moment on the dance floor before kissing each other. It's unknown uh, what further roles she'll play in the game, but it's it's clear that she'll uh, have an impact on Ellie's emotions. Diana is a member of the Firefly camp run by Joel's brother Tommy, so it stands to the reason that their interaction could have been an early point in the game. Whatever happens, we imagine that the ending to their story will be more tragic, as was the case with Ellie's last romantic encounter. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm gonna guess she's gonna die in this game. I'm just gonna throw that out there right now. Throw my hat in that uh, in the ring for that. I like to see Riley, which was our best. I'm gonna tell you this: our best friend, the first game from Ellie. It says Riley was Ellie's best friend and love interest. See, there's her first one. In uh, the Last of Us Left Behind, which I was that DLC I was talking about, when you actually play her in that game or DLC, whatever. Uh, the story ended with some zombies found their way to the abandoned mall. Riley was bitten, and it was all over after that. Yep. Uh, this is well, there's no chance for Riley to return. The Last of Us Part Two, having Ellie face flashbacks about her or even remember more details about their friendship, would be an interesting way to develop her character more. Ellie is already going to have a new love interest, so there's a chance that she could feel guilt over picking someone after Riley. <laughs> I can see that. Number four confirmed, uh, Laura Bailey's character. <clears throat> Since it takes some serious acting chops to end up in The Last of Us Part Two, many actors have already given, given their time to the game, including Laura Bailey. Her character appeared in one of their trailers for the game, along with several other new characters. She was captured by a dangerous woman, but eventually set free. While she has no name right now, many have speculated that she could be Ellie's mother, as potentially, <clears throat> potentially teased by marketing for the game, whoever she turns out to be, it's possibly that she could be another playable character. Another playable character, okay. So we're gonna have multiple playable characters. Hmm. Okay, three. I like to see Ellie's mother. Yeah, I like to see that too. Uh, says Ellie's mother Anna was a small part of the Last of Us. She was already deceased by the time the game started. Having died, giving birth to her only daughter, leaving only a litter behind. This leaves almost no chance for her to appear in The Last of Us Part Two. That said, she can appear in flashback scenes and provide a thermotic connection to Ellie. There are already some theories about her appearing in the game as one of the unnamed characters. Still, we, have, we haven't been given any information about Naughty Dog, so we'll just have to wait and see how it all turns out. And then we have two confirmed Emily. If there's one point the last was the last was made, it's that the people can just be as inhuman as the zombies. This uh, wrong truth in one of the trailers of the game, where we meet a dangerous woman named Emily, who works for the uh, uh, Seraphites, uh, an organization built to purge all sins from the world. She is holding an unnamed woman hostage and sends her goons to kill her slowly. Oh, Jesus. However, she gets ambushed by Yara and Lev, <clears throat> ending up in the grave. Our guess is that Emily will serve as an introduction to the Seraphites, who will likely serve as the antagonist faction in the game. Yeah, I can see that. Then we have number one, finally, 
but certainly not least, confirmed, Yaren Lev. As is one most of the footage from The Last of Us Part 2 has featured familiar, or familiar characters, there was one that seemed to throw fans for a loop. It uh, featured entirely new characters in a new organization at an undisclosed period of time. Among these characters were Yaren Lev, who were formerly members of the organization called the Seraphites. Brings up again. Uh, they helped a woman escape the wrath of someone very dangerous. With we just talked about that. Uh, they also referred to clickers as demons. It will be interesting to see how these characters blend in with the main story. Uh, it says the last was. Oh, okay, this is talking about another. Order. Okay, so yeah, these are all characters. Com- you have all six characters confirmed and not confirmed. So we'll be interesting how that plays out. All right. I'm definitely looking forward to the game. That is one of the games I'm already looking to pick it up. Since after get playing Game March 3, the next one is going to be uh, was already confirmed, which is the uh, Division 2. So it'll be Division 2 and then this game. So, you know, I don't know anything in between. So. But so far, I have two confirmed games I'm already going to buy from my PS4 system. I was thinking about Jump Force, but I've heard mixed reviews on that already, that game. Okay, let's get into our last article for the day, which is going to be the PlayStation. We're going to get into the uh, another gaming one. Or, yeah, we're going to get into another game. It's, uh, this article is from uh, Ventor Beats, and the headline says, PlayStation Sean uh, Layden says, PS4 VR will see dramatic change in 10 years. Since we're already talking about PS4, because that's what I'm already having for the game system. Which, uh, I think I mentioned, like, Last of Us was actually a PS4 exclusive, or PlayStation exclusive game, too. So, that's another thing to think about. I wonder if the Part 2 is going to be another PlayStation exclusive game. Oh, I hope so. I mean, it would boost their sales if they were smart. So, we'll see. Let's see. Okay. It says, PlayStation... This also article was from yesterday. About 9.30 a.m., to be in fact... It says PlayStation Sean Layden has us hopeful that PS4, PS, uh, not PS, PSVR 2 will happen, and maybe even PSVR 3 and 4 for that matter. Well, I mean, I just, <clears throat> side note before I get into most of my I have the PS4 VR. I mean, it's it's good. It definitely needs a lot of work. Uh, the visual is not there. I mean, it's like, it kind of looks like below 1080p. But I mean, I already have a few games already with it. I already have the. Um, like Blood Rush game, whatever the roller coaster game, and I have Creed the boxing one on there. It's pretty good. Still needs a lot of work for sure, but uh, this looks like it's going to go in the right direction for improving. But okay, and it says in a recent interview with Game Informer Layden, who heads up Sony Interactive Entertainment, uh, U.S. said that PSVR's change over the next ten years will be dramatic. <clears throat> Excuse me. Talking about the future of the platform. He compared its growth to the that of smartphones. Oh Jesus, that's coming like every year, <laughs> and it's already expensive. It is like the it's like three hundred bucks. But uh, I got the reason I picked mine up mainly, or one of the reasons because it wasn't even like a, it was just a random deal at Walmart or GameStop. Like they just cut it in half, so I got them off for one fifty. So. But it says uh, he he reasoned that it's hard to see how current phones have evolved from their processors. Uh, it says, by the same token, you look at PS, PSVR right now, 
None of us are going to be able to imagine what it would look like 10 years from now. But the change will be that dramatic, Layden said. <clears throat> you can't get to 5.0 until you do 1.0, obviously. It's the nature of the thing. His words uh, seem call for patience on the PSVR 2 front. We're just to be sure to hear high-level Sony executives talk as if a follow-up headset is a possibility. With over 3 million units sold, that's not really a lot. Uh, PSVR is thought to be the most successful major headset on the market right now. Uh, I can, people can argue with that. <laughs> Says Layden himself later stated, I think we're the biggest VR platform in the world. Okay. But this is just a fraction of 91.6 plus million units PS4 itself has sold. What? I thought I just said 3 million. Okay. Uh, it says, uh, there's no guarantee that Sony will push on with a medium until it definitely says so itself. That said, we've seen a lot of page. Uh, I kind of went ahead of myself in the article. I said, yeah. That said, we've seen a lot of patient patients putting towards potential PSVR improvements over the past few years. Just yesterday, we reported on a new document that gives us a closer look at could be new PlayStation Move controllers. At this point, PSVR 2 will luckily debut on PS, PS5. That would make sense. A console that also yet to be announced. It hasn't yet to be announced. I mean, like, I don't see that. That could probably be another four years, honestly. My opinion. Uh, this look. It also looks like I have another new controller in the works too for the PS4 VR. It says Sony's rumored new PS VR controllers have returned in two new patient sporting some interesting features. Uh, since we first spotted these new controllers in a patent published in January 2018, judging by the documents, a digital glowing orb seen on the original PlayStation Move controllers. Perhaps most significantly, though, they also feature analog sticks. The current moves don't have any such sticks, which has made moving around in VR quite tricky for the last three years. But these new patents filed in 2017 and published last week point to two other additions. Yeah, uh, there's another thing about that too. Because, yeah, they have like the move controllers, whatever. They have one for the new system, the PS4. But as you just find out, you know, life hack, uh, you can still use the PS3 move controllers for the PS4, which that's what I did because it's a hell of a lot cheaper. Like the PS4 move controllers, the PS4 is like a hundred bucks, and the ones I got were like, well, I got my pre-owned too, so I'll be like thirty, I want to say. It was really cheap, <laughs> way cheaper than the PS4 ones, and they're both exactly the fucking same. It says uh, the first is for what Sony calls a sense of force presentation to us. It sounds a lot more basic. From your haptic feedback, basically, will allow the controller to provide some resistance to pressing buttons on the controller, namely the trigger on the back. Doing so provide more immensely sensations for actions like pulling the trigger on a gun or pressing a button. The controller can even provide different levels of pressure at different points in squeezing. Uh, next up is a means of detecting whether the controller is being held in the left or right hand. The devices use a sensor to detect the position of the hand and could then remap buttons accordingly. It sounds like a handy little extra. We're always booting up PSVR games to find out we're holding controllers the wrong way around. Uh, kind of got ahead of myself here. Okay, this says that we also wonder if these features could be used for 
some very basic finger tracking with the Oculus Touch controllers. Basically, they know when your thumbs and fingers are grabbing the sticks and triggers and represent your virtual hands accordingly. It's not the most accurate feature, but it's a nice little touch. And it says, it seems likely that these new PSV PSVR controllers would accompany a new version of Sony's headset. Rumors about the PS5 have been heating up over the past few months, pointing towards potential reveal next next year. Okay. Maybe the reveal next year, but who knows when else is going to come out. If true, we're hoping Sony is also preparing a new version of its headset to, to launch alongside the console and improved controllers or at the top of the wish list for a search device. Well, if you get, do these new controllers, you're probably much you're probably going to use the past controllers like I'm using for mine right now. So, Yeah, that includes that. So That includes all the Google News for to this week. So I'm going to get some, some of the drink more. And we'll get into the WWE Luminous Chamber predictions. Ah, gotta get your daily dose of water, guys. Oh, okay. Let's get into the WWE Luminous Chamber. Alright, <clears throat> as we know, it's the Dominion Luminous Chamber 2019. <laughs> That's fun fact, I'm reading on Wikipedia. It says uh, Luminous Chamber 2019, but it's also known as No Escape in Germany. <laughs> That's weird, it's a different title. Uh, it's basically saying it's an upcoming professional wrestling pay-per-view event and WWE Network produced by WWE Further, Raw, SmackDown, and 205 Live Brands. It will take place on February 17, 2019 at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. It will be the ninth event promoted on the Elimination Chamber Chronology or during Germany, the No Escape. The event will be crowned the Quackadol Holder. I don't know the fucking word. Holders of the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. Yeah, you like that there? The announcing, announcing skills? Yeah, that's basically going to be the big thing of the night. It's just going to be the... You know, the promotion is, you know, first ever WWE Women's Tag Team Championship, which, you know, is not really true of you. But, you know, WWE probably wants you to forget shit all the time. You know, they actually had the tag team ships or back in the 80s, or they ended in the 80s. So, <clears throat> which, you know, wasn't around there, so I had no idea about it. And the theme song's going to be there, Don't Stop the Devil by Dead Posey. So, shout out to, to that lady. Uh, there's going to be seven matches here, which is basically uh, one less match than when I went to the Hell in a Cell event, so that's kind of a bummer. But we'll see what happens. <sighs> Alright, um, don't know if it's going to be in typical order. It's probably, it probably usually never is, but uh, I'm just reading off of Wikipedia. Uh, we have Nia Jax. Yeah, this is the uh, the Tasking Elimination Chamber match for the... Uh, I don't want to say that fucking word. It's basically the vacant... WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. Which is Nia Jax and Tamina versus the Riot Squad, which is Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan versus Manny Rose and Sonya Deville versus the Iconics, which is Billy Kay and Peyton Royce versus Bailey and Shasha Banks versus Naomi and Carmella. Uh, all these people have, you know, pretty good uh, team stories. Well, side note, as I just looked on, uh, this is on Twitter. Uh, basically, uh, 
Corey Graves and Carmella had like a little affair going on. Ooh, scandalous. Yeah, basically uh, Carmella getting the D. She in that fabulous D apparently. Which we know uh, Carmella was single. I know she was dating Big Cast, but uh, you know that broke up, ended up a disaster, I guess. And uh, Corey Graves has actually been married for ten years, so basically his, uh, I guess, going to be ex-wife now. Reported that on Instagram and it's going up on Twitter that uh, basically he was cheating on her. I had an affair with Carmella, and basically they were saying her. Uh, I think they have two kids, like two daughters. I'm I'm sure I'm not totally positive on that. I know for sure. They had daughters, and basically Carmella was like friends with her, I guess. So that kind of, kind of explains it. Yeah, they're like too good. I mean, she was friends with the wife, whatever. And then they're saying her daughters actually looked up to Carmella. Which really, you all the Steve girls, you want your daughters to look up to Carmella? I'm like, you know, she's already a fabulous hoe. So yeah, she went to a fabulous chick to be in Corey Graves' side, bitch. Yeah, no condone cheating at all. That's basically some bullshit, basically. Yeah, but that really like, happens a lot in the business. You know, people have their, uh, the wrestlers have their family at home. And they have, like, a lot of people I've known wrestlers have talked about before. They have the rollers their mistress. And basically, you know, it's convenient there. You know, they want to get with the de- or the women there that works with them. So it's getting more convenient to fuck. So, but yeah, I don't think it's right. So we'll see how that condones with Corey Graves and Carmella. Since I know, you know, how W looks into fucking uh, social media indefinitely. You know, take a look at um, Enzo Mori, for instance. You know, he got fired because of an alleged rape case. But, I mean, it's kind of like a, I would say, you know, personal matter or whatever. But, but you know, it's put out on social media, so. But I think a marriage is bit cheating, so we'll see if uh, Carmella and, uh, Corey Graves keep your jobs or not. We'll see that uh, tonight. But yeah, I, I didn't see fucking Naomi and Carmella winning anyway. I'm rooting for, uh, I mean, it's big three to mention. It's going to be, um, well, I mean, there's only four teams in it. Right? Right, no, there's, see, one, two, yeah, six, right? So mainly big, big contenders is Nia Jackson, Tamina, uh, the Iconics, and Bailey and Sasha Banks. That's the. I'm going with Bailey and Sasha Banks. I'm just thinking they have a they have a good chemistry together anyway, so that's what I'm gonna go with. Then next we have the Miz and Shane McMahon versus the Usos, Jay and Jimmy Usos for the tag team match for the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championship. Uh, I'm looking forward to this match because I just want to see Shane McMahon. <laughs> I know he's always fucking a really wrestler, but I mean, I just like I just want to see that that high spot live that shit, that uh. Oh, you call it that corner spot, whatever. Maybe he'll fucking. I know he's done it without a weapon before, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, it can go both ways. I've heard. Yeah, speaking about social media trouble, I think apparently Jay and Jimmy Uso did some trouble, like Detroit or something. So I can see it go either way. Uh, I can see because uh, they're either thinking the Miz and Shane are gonna break up and fight WrestleMania. Or they're basically like hanging on to it and have the tag team match for WrestleMania. I'm gonna think they're gonna break up. I think, uh. Oh, that's hard. Fuck, I'm gonna go with the Usos. I'm thinking the Usos are gonna reclaim these championships and then uh, the Miz and Shane are gonna have like a. a confrontation or whatever. They're gonna break up and they'll kind of build that storyline to WrestleMania. 
So, seeing the Usos for the new championships. New tag team championships. And then we have the second Limited Chamber match. It's uh, for the WWE Championship. We have Daniel Bryan, current champ, versus AJ Styles, versus Jeff Hardy, versus Randy Orton, versus Samoa Joe, versus Kofi Kingston. Now, it was originally supposed to be uh, Mustafa Ali, but he had an injury, apparently. So then Kofi Kingston replaced him. And they had a damn good gauntlet match on SmackDown. Kofi Kingston really showed off that... Basically, they just wanted to show him that, like, hey, he's a good contender because they weren't thinking, oh, he's like, you know, he's in a, basically a, um, I don't know what you call it, a, a more fun, cartoony uh, tag team with a New Day. I mean, so they want to make him look legit pretty much more again because he's a veteran, guys. I personally, you know, I would actually like him to win. I mean, he's a Lemmy veteran. He'd be a first uh, African-American WWE champion in, like, so long. So, I... I would like him to win. Like, he's definitely more underdog. I mean, I see more of a chance than uh, Jeff Hardy. And, uh, yeah, I see more than Jeff Hardy. <laughs> I'd love to see Jeff Hardy win this. But, I mean, uh, it's kind of hard. I mean, but likely contenders, I do would see AJ Styles and Randy Orton. Even Samoa Joe. I mean, I would see Samoa Joe as, like, kind of a contender for Dark Horse as Kobe Kingston. I definitely don't see Jeff Hardy... Samoa Joe and Kobe Kingston winning. Randy Orton because of like you just know fucking know, like you can they can just do a swear ball like oh fucking Randy Orton won. <laughs> you could be Danny Bryan and Randy Orton because they have a history too. So, but I really don't see Danny Bryan losing this match since he's already holding for so long and he's pretty high for the storyline. But I mean, he, I definitely if anything, I definitely see Danny Bryan going to WrestleMania anyway, regardless if he has a championship or not. But. In all respect, if anything, I would love Kobe Kingston with this match, but if I was a betting man, I'm going to say Danny Bryan's going to retain. That's that's my pick. He's already won a chamber before. Like, it doesn't really matter or anything because it's a pretty determined sport. But I'm going to go with Danny Bryan. And then we have number four, which is Buddy Murphy versus Akira Tawazawa. This is for the uh, singles match for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. This uh, looks like it's going to be around the pre show. It's indicating that so it's more likely. Um, I don't normally watch Two or Five Live, honestly. Sorry, but I do know Buddy Murphy, so I'm gonna think he's gonna retain the title. That's all I can say on that. <laughs> and then we have Ronda Rousey versus Ruby Riot, singles match for the WWE Raw Women's Championship. Now it's blatantly fucking obvious Ronda Rousey is gonna win this match. I'm like, even in the build up, I'm like, because they're already building this up for Ronda. I'm like. They're just barely mentioning, you know, she actually has a championship match against Ruby Riot, But they are saying her, like, she's already going to go to WrestleMania and face, you know, she, you know, whatever that's, that side story. That all story with uh, Becky Lynch and uh, Charlie Flair, which currently now all the storylines going taking place. Becky Lynch is suspended right now, 60 days, thanks to Vince McMahon, which is like five days after WrestleMania. So they're going to, they're basically putting right now that it's going to be Charlotte. Versus Ronda Rousey WrestleMania or Ruby Riot, which I don't even talk about the storyline itself. That's no fucking way that's gonna happen. <laughs> so why even have Ruby Riot against Ronda Rousey? Just a placement match. But good on Ruby Riot though. I mean she's up corner, so I mean have a good shine match. Hopefully they'll have a good match. So yeah, no doubt picking Ronda Rousey. There's nothing about that. Then we have Bobby Lashley. She was the champion and Leo Rush versus Finn Balor. Handicap match for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. It's been putting the odds against Finn Balor. I have not seen Leo. Um, 
I'm not more. I'm not. I'm not doing Osborne in a rush. I believe he was a wrestler in NXT. Not too sure on that. So I don't know what his abil- his abilities are. But uh, it's gonna put the odds against Finn Balor. I can see Finn Balor win this match. Like uh, there's rumors going around that uh, you know, because uh, on Raw, I think it was the last Raw. It was the Raw we're out before this week. That uh, Kevin Owens did that little comeback promo, whatever. <laughs> he just come back as a baby face, looks like. He did that, that gutter ball and fucking bowling, whatever he was filming at, on a home video. Uh, they're saying he may return and like, help Ben Balor in this match, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, I'm going to go with Ben Balor for this match. Let's see what happens. And then we have, oh yeah, this is definitely going to be the main event. <laughs> Braun Strowman versus Barry Corbin and a notes qualification match, which that was later. Uh, Changed up through the week. So that really means probably Baron Corman's going to win somehow in the most complicated match. Um, yeah, if if it was a regular match, I would say Braun Strowman, but now that since they just kind of did this last minute, I'm going to say Baron Corman's going to win this match somehow. Since no most complicated, probably going to get some help or something. Maybe someone's not going to come in. Maybe, uh, maybe Kevin Owens, maybe, maybe come in and actually help Baron Corman. Maybe he's just still a heel and actually. Because I know before he left, he had some heat with Braun Strowman. You know, good squash by him. So he actually may help Baron Corbin out. But yeah, I'm going to say Baron Corbin's going to take this match. And that's basically it, guys. That's pretty much sums up my predictions for the WWE 2019 Limited Chamber match. It's going to be later today. Got a three-hour drive for that. So we are, we're going to stay there that night. We're going to go to a local brewery over there. It's going to be the 8th Wonder Brewery. So that'll be we're talking about next week when I talk about the Lewis Chamber, my adventures in Houston. So, all right. So it's already almost at the hour now, so we're gonna get into the part two of the 100 greatest robot movie robots of all time. So, we left off at uh, 75. So, yeah, Astro Boy. We talked about Astro Boy last week. That's where we left off. So, get some more water. Alright. Alright, guys, we're into the top 100 greatest movie roads of all time, starting back on to 74. If you are still new to the podcast, guys, you can check out last week's episode. Let's get the first part, 25, because we're starting from 100 down to 1. So, yeah, so number 74 is BB and Samantha from the movie Deadly Friends, 1986. I have no idea about this movie. <laughs> Uh, so it's probably best to remember these days for its infamous basketball kill scene. This might be for the best, but uh, Wes Craven's robot horror does have two fairly unforgettable bots, the adorable BB, well, until he's not, <laughs> and it's a resurrected robot hybrid of the teenage leading lady, Samantha Kirsty uh, Swanson, I should say, and BB voice of, robot, of Roger Rabbit, Charles... Frencher. Okay. Well, it makes sense. I mean, they were both in the 80s, so. But when Daily, Daily Friends not being hilariously kept in the Gore FX department, Samantha is fairly scary as, as an out-of-control murder bot, and BB, well, this is one of the charming little robots who can hold a grudge on behalf of its dopey teenage creator, SW. Yeah, just looking at this uh, little clip, or I want to say clip, screenshot photo of the movie, yeah, it looks like an 80s movie. Okay. 
<clears throat> and then we have 73, which is Robot Spiders in the movie Runaway, 1984. I do not know this movie either. It says this uh, Michael <clears throat> Crenshaw, or Creechon, 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 I don't know. It says written, directed, flop, <laughs> was a uh, little more than a warmed over Blade Runner clone. But the Tom Selleck's mustache starring Boulder play sci-fi yonder does at least feature some interesting tech. Most especially the uh, hyperdomatic needle vanishing robot spiders created by the mad scientist Dr. Luther G. Ah, Gene Siemens in the movie. Okay. Honestly, though, the real reason those cheap-looking props made this list is because the little bastards kill Gene Siemens in the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, which is quite uh, gratifying since he is an authentic human being. Wow, okay. This dude who made this article doesn't like Gene Simmons, apparently. Alright, then we have 72. Mandroid from the movie Eliminators, 1986. Do not know this movie. Uh, it says time travel, ninja, cutesy flying robots, caveman, half man slash half tanks. Roman centuries with so much awesome going on for Eliminators. It's barely mat or it barely matters how terrible the movie is. I mean, look at our heroic cyborg. That dude can become uh can become a tank as soon as it starts getting bored. And it just goes to show Marvel Studios that Bonebreaker can be done on the silver screen if they get desperate. Yeah, it's basically it's just, he's talking about the little screenshot on here. He's basically this real cyborg dude is like driving a tank. Or it transformed to a tank, should I say. Yeah, it looks cheesy. Uh, then we have 71, the robot from the movie Lost in Space. Huh, nice name. The movie 1998. I have not seen this movie. It says, I'll admit it, the robot makes the list. Due in large part because it's a film version of the robot that, for so many kids growing up in the 60s and 70s, was the first robot that would spring to mind at the mention of the world, of the word. It was even voiced by Dick uh, Twofield, the voice of the original B9. Okay. Beyond that, I'll admit the old chap doesn't have much going on for him, nor does the film, though it's not that bad. Okay. Uh, then we have number 70, Max, the movie Flight of the Navigator, 1986. Uh, this is Max, the multilingual uh, main. Mainframe computer in Disney's 1986 family hit. Oh, this is a Disney movie? Okay. It says it is voiced by none other than Pee Wee or Paul Paul Rubens, uh, though credited as Paul Mall. <laughs> He's at the helm of a rogue spaceship that, long story short, fast forwards all American kid David eight years into the future and is unlikely duo set out to the right things and involves fancy alien charts. Embedded in David's brain, takes on some human properties of the young, youngins, directed by Randall Kilzer, uh, it says Grease the Blue Lagoon, quotation marks, and featuring Howard Hezeman, or, yeah, as a scientist, and Sarah Jessica Parker as a purple hair sporting NASA intern, Flight of the Navigator, is hella dated, it is also a lot of fun, thanks Largely to the genuine relationship between Joey Garman's David and his official intelligence psychic Rubens, who had pretty much every kid at the time hoping to be abducted by a UFO. Okay. 
Then we have 69 Jinx from the movie Space Camp, 1986. It's a lot of 80s movies in this little bracket right now. It says, young adventurers at a NASA camp accidentally get lost into orbit for real. Hey, it could happen. So, too, could they get lost because of Jinx, a robot rejected, who is prevented by 12-year-old camp attendee Max in his featured film debut. Okay, and the uh, literal minded programming makes what is believed is Max's sincere wish come true. It's terrorically honky, or hokey, just honky, <laughs> hokey, should I say. And not uh, all, all held by the fact that the Challenger tragedy, which claimed the lives of seven astronauts barely five months before the film's release, mm. yes, uh, was still fresh in audience memories. In fact, the whole thing still feels inappropriate, even if legendary voiceover actor Frank Welker does his best as the scientist being points added for the score by John Williams and coincidentally 80s casting Kate Comshaw times skirt <clears throat> that's what his last name actually sounds like uh, Lee Thompson Tate Denovan Kelly Princeton points lost for common knowledge to find plot holes you can drive a space shuttle through Jesus critic <laughs> And then we have 68, TikTok, from the movie Return to Oz, 1985. Oh, they actually made a sequel to The Wizard of Oz? Oh, back in the day, I didn't know that. Hmm. So they already made this thing multiple times. Okay, so... Return to Oz is profoundly weird, occasionally disturbing children's movie, by, but TikTok is... One of the lighter elements in a film that provided plenty of inverted nightmare fuel, a clockwork man TikTok who rightfully be called one of the first fictional robots ever in L. Frank, uh, Frank Berman's original story. Squatting around, he has no mouth in the film adaptation and, get this, speaks directly out of his mustache somehow. So if a trivia question ever begins with this robot's voice, emanates from his mustache, you'll know there's a solid chance by they're talking about TikTok. He's a sweet, naive character who can't feel genuine human emotion, but is extremely loyal in protecting those in his uh, charge, such as Dorothy Gale, even though he's prone to miss misadventure when he when his gears need to be regulated around. In that sense, he's a true automa automation, but a very faithful one. Who needs a personality? <laughs> Who needs a personality when we've got a sweet talking mustache, right? <laughs> okay. And now we have 67, which is Johnny Cap from the movie Total Recall, 1990. I've heard a lot. Of, I mean, I've not seen this movie, but I mean, I've heard a lot about it before in references throughout the years. So I feel like I need to see this movie. So it's Johnny Cap. Her cap, so I'd say, uh, may only inhabit one scene in Total Recall. And drive, driverless cars may now be science fact, but hell, if Johnny isn't the most appealing chauffeur you have in the Philip K. Dick expired dystopia, smallest as part is, this robot taxi's appearance and personality is still so clearly plastered with director Paul uh, Vera Heaven's cheeky uh, staristic fingerprints. Hell of a day, and it's Okay. I mean, screenshot looks pretty good with a virtual chauffeur. 
which you know it's I'm guessing yeah there's movies like Place in the Future but I mean we're already trying to get self driving cars anyway from Tesla so it's possible now we have 66 police robots for the movie Asylum 2013 I have not seen this movie back in 2013 I haven't even heard of this movie it says if you're Frank technically looking up and down on this list wondering where the hell Chappie is. <laughs> well, sorry because Chappie kind of sucked. Wow. Ooh, that's a bummer. Uh, I mean, it wasn't the best movie, but I actually like Chappie. So. But really, he's pretty much already included in this entry, seeing as he's really just one of the police robots from uh, A Thousand, whatever. Which, with, with an annoying emo personality. <laughs> How cool are those robots though? They really look, move, and feel authentic and seem a more than realistic glimpse into the future of urban pacifications. Chilling. Chillingly so. Okay. Basically just fucking want to make fun of Chappie. Then we have 65, Chani from the movie Devil Girl from Mars. Another 1950s movie. This is from 1954. <laughs> the screenshot. It's fucking hilarious. This robot looks funky as fuck. Uh, it says from the, or from its uh, Dimitrix double girl herself to hilarious broad acting and scripted historics. This uh, Mars needs men. British micro budget production is a pretty good approximation of Hollywood B movies of the time. The uh, titular devil girl's commander Nia employs the twin tactic of the ray gun and a Robotic enforcer Channing in ignoring the small scars village to bend to her will. Now Channing does look quite ridiculous. He resembles little more than a walking refrigerator. <laughs> Some, yeah. Uh, with sadly, sadly paralyzed arms. Oh wow. And while he can emit a death ray from the blinking lamp that's presumably his head, uh, he's also damn slow and possibly drunk based on his wavering peripheral. It's basically, it's truly a wonder how he's managed to threaten any of the uh, Podog Earthlings. So why is this a stumbling joke on the list? Simple. This film had no budget. It was 1954. And Channing's not a costume. That thing was actually built and functioned it poorly as an entirely animated robot. Oh, wow. Okay. That's pretty cool. I get props to that. Okay. I have number 64, uh, Amy. Has two E's apparently uh, from the movie Red Planet in 2000. Don't know this movie either. It says, despite a crackerjack cast and a decent premise for sci fi horror, Red Planet very much deserved to land in theaters while the fighting silence it did. Full, intentionally hilarious deaths and ideas that never really came together. The movie did have one element uh, that worked its, its monster the malfunctioning robot. Uh, me, which is abbreviation for Anonymous Mapping Exploration and Vision, or Evasion, so I'd say. It says, who followed, or following the astronaut's ship crash becomes stuck in military mode. Military mode, in this case, means Stone Cold Murder Machine. Amy gets, uh, got a slack, slick alien design and is probably way better at killing all humans than it was at whatever it's supposed to be doing in this otherwise muddling mess of a movie. Then we have 63. It's the uh, Fix-It's. I guess the robot's name. And the movie, Batteries Not Included. 
another 80 movie, 1987. It says, all people and aliens partner to fight gender ramifications for the crowd-pleasing win. Spouses both on and off the screen. Jessica Tanny and Humane Kramin play a couple who are among the low-income residents of the apartment building at odds with a man. Who's gone so far to, as to hire a local gang to vandalize the couple's downstairs diner and uh, further drive out the tenants. As luck would have it, a pair of friendly flying saucers dubbed the Physics are in town. And squats on the top of the building while repairing anything and everything. There is a Marilicic sign. Oh, and the UFOs aren't just do-gooding physics. They're fertile fa- Family-minded physics as that. Uh, says produced by Steven Spielberg. Okay. And with the script co-penned by Brad Bird. His uh, first feature screenplay of that. Batteries not included is smart and cute. In the best sense <clears throat> of the term, the physics are positively absorbed. The task, which is also included, Elizabeth Pena. It's pitch perfect, especially the uh, sprightly uh, crown. There's a childlike innocence to the whole thing and art if it doesn't charm you. So, okay. Then we have Sleeper Robots from the movie Sleeper, 1973. It says, Woody Allen's sci-fi slapstick may not ca- uh, contain the most remarkable robots per se, but it is a Woody Allen comedy at the peak of the legendary filmmaker's powers. Pinpoint physical comedy. Uh, hysterically absurd dialogue and some ridiculously funny sight gags uh, pervade the future's uh, di- 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 dystopia, should I say, setting. Uh, <clears throat> robotic butlers included as alien characters, or Alan's characters, Miles, and Bipoli disguising himself as one of those bots. Technically, the police state of the future is in. Definitely more incompetent than him. Okay. <clears throat> and then we have 61 Fembots uh, from the movie Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machines. Let me look up here. 1965. It says, if you have uh, never heard of Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine, <laughs> draw whatever you're doing and watch the trailer. Okay. I'll probably watch this after the podcast. It says, at the very least, if only to hear the narrator say things like, these lush bikini babes are built to perform, <laughs> and sex has never been funnier. Well, an absolute bonkers comedy from B-movie uh, Mavin's American International Pictures, Dr. Goldfoot stars Vincent Price at his zaniest, playing a gold booty-wearing mad scientist <clears throat> who uh, invents the uh, particular bikini machines that create sexy finbots. They roll on the machines on the assembly line, bulletproof, invincible, and choke, choke, choke full of uh, finamine wiles. This movie, this movie is gleeful, insanely nostalgic, and in all shucks, sort of the way that equals parts groan, inducing a gut, uh, bustingly funny, and it's uh, out monotonous. So the prospect of the go bikini wearing finmos is one, of course, that carried on a stick. Intended to guide audiences into the theater and their way of powers will likely make you forget how demeaning the film is for every woman in it. Well, I mean, it wasn't the 60s, so I'm sure they, you know, they got, they got a lot more stuff than now. 
But I'm just looking at this, uh, I'm not sure this is real, I have to look this up, because, uh, I'm looking at the screenshot, you know, it's showing, I'm guessing the Dr. GoFoot guy, like two of these, uh, bikini machine bots, I guess, and it looks like the, the, the bikini, bikini girl bots are, uh, it's in this machine, right? But they have the Apple logo on it, <laughs> like, it's a, it's blatantly the Apple logo, so, I'm not sure if some dude, like, this Photoshop is on here, because, like, was Apple made in the 60s? I'm, like, the Apple company? I'm not sure. But I'm like, I don't know why, like, the Apple logo would be on here. So, that's kind of weird. I'll have to look at that. Okay, now I'm going to go to the next page. Mm, no. Just got to load up here. Okay, number 60. Pier uh, <clears throat> Piercy, Bood Ford, and more from the movie The Ice Pirates in 1984. It says the uh, mostly stalwart robots in this tongue-in-cheek cult favorite fall pretty subtly in the Rock'em Sock'em robot school design, which actually makes them stand out from the most of the other entries on this list, but they are also a big part of the fun providing personality and slapstick to the proceedings. It's a pretty much short and sweet article for that. And I have not seen the movie either. And then we have 59, Box, from the movie Logan's Run, 1976. Not seen this movie. It says, in the future, 30 is the new 80. <laughs> Unfortunately for those who think they're entitled to a second act in life, escaping to find out can't get you killed by a Sandman-like Logan 5. And even if you make it past the human assassins, you can still wind up face to grill with Box, the uh, man's physically... Metodoramic robot who ran a uh, fish and plankton and sea greens and protein from the sea. Okay. And so decided it might as well flash freeze some fr uh, fresh runners instead. I can't prove it, but uh, I have sneaky suspension. Billy West modeled his performance of Therisman Robot Calicolon uh, from uh, from uh, Futurama after Roscoe Lee Bronze possibly Shakespeare's box. Oh, okay, I know what it's talking about, yeah. And then we have 58, Hector from the movie Saturn 3, 1980. I have not seen this movie. Uh, this franchise of that, I'm guessing it's a fr robot franchise, since it says 3. Uh, it says, as far as alien cash and attempts go, Saturn 3 had more than the most going in to recommend. A cast comprised of Kirk Douglas, Farrah Fawcett, and Harvey uh, Cattell for crying in the space cup. Uh, but it was the uh, extraordinarily creepy killer robot Hector that ended up being the only thing worth recommending in the, or in this uh, rally pan turd. <laughs> okay, along with processing the murdering, mur uh, rapey mind of its creator, Benson, was this cartel? Uh, it was large and humanoid in shape, except for the damn thing had no head. <laughs> okay, it looks interesting for the screenshot. <clears throat> we have 57, uh, Prothetheus, uh, 4, from the movie Demon Seed, 1977. Uh, so speaking of creep, creep static, rapey robots, <laughs> Demon Seed, based on the Dean Kothic's novel of the same name, features Prothetheus, the advanced computer AI that develops the urge to merge with a human female. Oh, shit. I have not seen this movie, by the way. It says, which does so through uh, manipulation, 
manipulation, manipulation. and uh, coercion of poor uh, Julia Christie. Prometheus created creates a couple or couple robots as an extension of itself, but nothing that could technically qualify from this list, at least until the end. <laughs> Says the gaspy icky end. Okay, spoiler. Then we have, oh wow, this is, so far this is like the oldest movie on the list so far. It says, uh, number 56, Steel Killer the Robot, or Steel Killer Robot. This is actually the name for it. Uh, the movie Mysterious Dr. Satan, 19, in 1940. So, yeah, that looks clunky as fuck too in the screenshot. It's like all these like 40, I guess now 40, 50 movies robot, they always have these clunky hands. Or arms, I'd say. But it says, uh, robot costume design didn't... <laughs> Nan's already talking about the costume. Robot costume design didn't get much more basic than it did in the this, in this serial, mysterious Dr. Satan. But seeing as how the films were meant to be a live-action comic book, the studio was unable to secure the rights to Superman. Uh, the resulting uh, Sithic was anatomically appropriate in fitting the material, and hey, until Robbie the Robot came along, old killer here was... Uh, Really was the robot look in film to steal. Oh wow. That sucks for the back of the day. <laughs> and then we have number 55, which is Spider Robots. I know the Spider Robots. Okay. And the movie Minority Report in 2002. I have not seen this movie. Uh, it says spiders are freak freaky creatures in and out of themselves, giving them a metallic uh, sheen plus the ability to zero in on specific targets. And then become downright terrifying. Case in point, one of the best set in pieces on Steven Spielberg's 2002 sci-fi thriller, Minority, reports centers on a police issue, spider drones being released into the apartment building where incapacitating fugitive uh, John Anderson, a.k.a. Tom Cruise, uh, is recovering from a black market eye transplant should the spiders end up scanning his retain... Yeah, it says retains, I guess. He will be permanently blinded Oh shit! And the grand tradition of Steve, uh, Spielberg's characters, uh, the worlds, <clears throat> audience are left in chewing their collective fingernails as the creatures move forward uh, and closer and closer towards our hero. And a film filled with uh, nightmares feature tech, spider robots are probably the the ones most likely to actively give you nightmares. I'm gonna shout out to this guy. This name is Mark Rosaman from this article. Like he actually get, made a good, good, detailed article about this. Actually. So, pretty good. Uh, Tom Cruise movie. I mean, I have to at least check out the trailer for this. And then we have number 54, The Dummy, in the movie A Clever Dummy. Oh, never mind. I guess now this is the oldest one now. Hmm. 1917. Wow. That is. Wow. Okay. It says there is technically no robot in the short film of the silent age. But that's only because this hit theaters before the word robot existed. Ah, <laughs> uh, so they called it Dummy Silver Robot. And everything but name, however, the dummy of the title is, in fact, an automaton created by a scientist and could, can function independently as a double of the human its model after. Uh, in this case, the that function is uh, Vauderville. Why? <clears throat> it's just why would you do with the most... Miralicious analogy, Marvel hearted a new age of scientific discovery. Yeah, this article is kind of stupid, but didn't really explain much of it. But yeah, this screenshot is basically just, it just looks like a dude. Like, he just kind of looks like a, uh, what would you call it? 
a lazy eye, I guess. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, it's 1917, so you can't really expect much. I'm like, it just pretends like, basically just try to be non-human as possible, bro. <laughs> but yeah, okay, and I don't think this is going to be the oldest unless they get into, like, I'm not, I can't even remember when movies first came out, so. Well, the 1800s, like, late 1800s, I guess, thanks to uh, Redemption 2 that I saw, or not saw, but played, so. Alright, let's say they have anything in the 1800s. Alright, now we have 53, The Annihilation. Or, it says Annihilatons, whatever. And it says, or Iron Slash Mechanical Man. From the movie Flash Gordon in 1936. <clears throat> it says, the adept owned to Flash Gordon on behalf of all pulp fiction, or pulp sci-fi, will require a team of NASA experts and their most super powerful supercomputer. One such step would have to include the visual construct of a small army of robots created and controlled as weapons against our interpied space adventure. They march impenically towards their target, uh, are invincible, and can even <laughs> function as walking bombs on top of their electrical discharge arsenal. Uh, so let's hear for these groundbreaking movie representations of multitasking killer machines. Yeah, I've not seen this movie, obviously, so it's black and white. Okay, not much more to talk about. Uh, we have one of the new movies here. Uh, number 52 says, Vision for the movie The Avengers Age of Ultron, 2015. I have seen this movie. I've been watching The Avengers, uh, I guess you call it franchise. Love it. <clears throat> Can't wait for the uh, part two. Uh, it says, oh, I mean, it's not the part two of Age of Ultron, but whatever. Uh, Infinity War. Not if any, is it what you word? Ah, it's whatever the last, the, wherever the latest adventure is for part two. For Thanos, whatever. Anyway, it says, uh, oh, the age we live in, <laughs> when the garnish colored android, for no one of those most popular team comics that doesn't involve all mutant, mutants can make it to the silver screen pretty much intact. Sure, Paul Bendy's uh, version has an infinity gem on his forehead, but there's one thing the vision's always been. It's overpowered the ability to go intangible or rock hard to fly to fire a heat beam from his gym. Super strength on the basic stats of this guy. Only the uh, recentness of his big screen debut keeps him from being high on the list. Check back in five years. It'll probably be top 20. Yeah, because this is the first I really know this guy is from the Avengers series. But I enjoy him. I mean, he's more of a... I mean, he has an android, right? So... I want to get more of a robot, but okay. Then we have 51 giant robots from the, or, uh, yeah, okay, giant robots Sky, from the movie Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow 2004. Uh, I've not seen this movie, but I think I've heard of it. Or maybe it's World, some kind of something World of Tomorrow, in addition for that. But it says uh, robots can get more retro cool than they do in Kiri Corrin's uh, Justly underappreciated sci-fi throwback sky captain in the world tomorrow it looks and feels are so authentically 1940s pulp movie surreal <laughs> or surreal uh it could almost be mistakenly for a recently unearthed classic from the day if it weren't for generally impressive cgi effects and contemporarily it's star like jude law uh says garanthi patro and angela jolie okay it has such an uh, unforced uh Yellowless energy about it. You can practically feel an entire era of films influence behind it. For example, the following entry on this list. Okay. 
Yeah, it looks like the giant ass robots. Oh, well, yeah, this is basically just look giant ass robots. They look like, um, the Iron Giant pretty much look like, just a little bit, but more advanced. <laughs> and then we have the last one for the entry for this week's from the podcast, number 50. We have the Mechanical Monsters, uh, from the, uh, Mechanical Monsters Superman animated short, 1941. Okay. Says after mysterious Doctor Satan failed to gin up Superman to fight his robot, actual licensed Superman did still manage to do some satisfying giant robot smashing and one of the Max Fletcher Superman animated shorts. Pretty classic '40s robot look. Uh, says plus they breed fire. Oh shit! What a shame there. Says what a shame their inventor had only the limit. Limited imagination to use his dozens of mass destruction machines to rob banks. Come on. <laughs> it says, think bigger. Evil scientist man. Great Caesar's ghost. You live in a city that counts Lex Luger's amongst his residents. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> Alright guys, that's going to sum up part uh, this series right now. We're going to end it off here for the part two of the 100 greatest movie robots of all time. So you be sure to take it next week when we get into the 50 to 25 mark. Alright guys, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can check in my uh, plugins down below in the description. Be sure to uh, give us some five-star reviews from iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to this motherfucking podcast. And we'll see you next time. On This has been DJ Stash on Topics on the Pod. Play my outro. Goodbye. Down the years it's been a ride. Now I'm sorry I'm all it's not in tonight And on and on as we go we seem to fight But baby that's just the way we love And only in the dark do we see our sunlight Home is where we were, home is where we want to be And yes we don't have time to say goodbye And this ain't the last time now this time before we go Raise your hands, raise your toes Time is something special Just like love before it starts to snow It's crazy how the years have gone Memories are the drug we're on But darling, just remember That there's never a goodbye There's There's never a goodbye Different time Maybe I need to hear your 
voice to make me smile No, 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 it's not said and done Baby, you can fly with me and we'd be worried And it's only time before we miss the fire You and I reach the taller, higher Whoa, our hands up in the sky Just seeing our years pass by Ride the storm, show me where you've gone